Now, here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. All right, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Pitchers and Catchers Reporting Day. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, CLSports.com, Seattle Sports app. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Happy Valentine's, happy Valentine's Day. Valentine. Happy Valentine's Day. Right back at you, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I'm surprised we're still speaking after the the nasty things you wrote back to me I'm last just, For someone in, in to say hour of need, someone to say you're dry. Yeah. That is just that crossed the line. <laughs> that crossed the line. I had enough with that. The worst talk, worst talk, talk radio host of your generation was fine, <laughs> but when they called me dry, that was yeah. just a bridge too oh, far. I didn't even broad. see that. I am so sorry. What do you mean I you just... didn't see it? I sent you the whole damn thing. What's the matter with you? Oh, I just looked at the dry part oh. and I thought that that was just <laughs> that was so too much. Lame. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, I'm. Uh, you're lucky. I'm here today. After the the verbal abuse that I took all day yesterday, yes. the ratioing and everything else, mm. it's just I'm barely I'm barely functioning today. But uh, Mariners pitchers and catchers report. It's one of the happy days of the year. I don't care how frustrated any baseball team makes you. I don't care if you've had to root for the Cincinnati Reds or the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Oakland A's. Mm. Well, maybe the A's. But other than that, today is the day pitchers and catchers report, and that Brock is a happy day. Amen. Right? Amen. Yes. Yeah, and it's a beautiful day down there in Peoria, and the guys have already been there. I mean, I think that's what struck me maybe last year and, and over the last few years is you've got, uh, you know, you got just a, a quality young core. you got a quality organization that, you know, you don't just see guys flying in the very last minute and just showing up at the very last minute as maybe we did 10, 12 years ago. So I've got a lot of young guys that, that want to prove that they are a part of this thing, have already been at work. They don't use, you know, save for Luis, I think Luis is the one uh, Mariner who uses spring training mm-hmm. to actually get himself in shape and get his arm going He's and been get doing himself a lot, of, a lot of fishing this offseason down L- the Dominican. Yes. yes, he has. Yes, he has. But he's a veteran guy. He threw over 190 innings last year. He's one of the three guys that threw over 190 innings. So they're they're experienced in, in that regard. You know, do you realize that's the most in all of baseball? Yeah, he my threw buddy, 197 innings last year. My buddy Luke Arkins last night, I said, hey, Luke, man, you know, the, the greatest radio host in the country, Salk, mm, is, yes. he is so good. He is so edgy. <laughs> yeah. He's so edumacated. So He's so passionate about this. <laughs> and I know we're going to open the show with pitchers and catchers. And and you are just, uh, man, you are my my saving grace out there. And you do such an amazing job. You mean job. Your, your intern, yes. Yeah, of putting together incredible information. And this one struck me um, as, as much as anything, Salk, and I do think it leads to so many further conversations, and that is that the Mariners last year, I mean, consider this, they Castillo, Gilbert, and Kirby each pitched um, at least 190 innings. Do you realize that only 12 pitchers in all of the rest of mm. baseball threw 190-plus innings? Yeah. You had three on your team. Philly had Nola and Wheeler with two. No other team had more than now, one dude. Some that of pitched. that, though, is, I mean, some of that you can look at it and say, geez, that could be a little bit of a problem heading into the next season, health, et cetera. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's also like, yeah, you have the best one, two, three in baseball. Like you have the most solid one, two, and three in baseball, which is why they were able to go deeper into games and get you through the, like all season long. So I don't know. I'm a little torn on how how much to to read into that. I think you see that one both ways a little bit. It's an extraordinary number, it, whatever way you want to catch yes, it. It's an extraordinary number that you have three times more than anybody else. You have you have three of the 15 in all of the game of baseball. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, you can cast it, sure, if you want to you know, have a little fear and reservation, make sure you protect them and da-da-da-da-da. And maybe or, you do both. 
Yes. Right? I mean, it's, it's okay to have a little fear and be worried about them. And also at the same time, I think you need to, to be like, yeah, hey, look, this is a really good rotation with yep. three guys that, you know, according to their, you know, expected uh, war totals may be all number one starters in baseball. If you sort of put quotes around it mm-hmm. all in the top 30. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what we get from Luis Castillo this year. He's going to end up starting on opening day. He's the veteran. He's the guy. He's the rock. He's La Piedra, right? All those things. He probably didn't have his best year last year, right? Just watching him. Mm -hmm. And yet the numbers were like, when you look at the actual numbers, his ERA was right where it's been, 3.34. His whip was right where it's been, 1.1. His strikeouts were still at 10 per nine innings, all right on track. He did Mm -hmm. give up a few more home runs which is a little odd given how many games he pitched at T-Mobile. Yep. He did give up a few more walks than you'd like to see. So I think both those numbers yep. are ones that you want to watch heading into this year. The walks probably concern me more than the home runs. And I think the defense will hurt him a little bit this year as well because it's not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. But he's the, he's only 31. He should be in line for a similar type of season. And, you know, assuming he does that, He's still a number one. Yeah, and, but these other two are right on his heels. And that's and that's where things get fun, right? Yes. Because then you've got Kirby, the guy with the real breakout potential, 26 years old, absurd command. And Gilbert at 20, I think he's 27, but with an extra year in the league as well. Logan's kind of at that age where he should be figuring out how to pitch in addition to knowing how to throw. Does that make yes. sense? It does, because there is a number with him that is very concerning to those next level guys like a Luke Arkins and baseball savant guys, and that is that hard hit rate, man. Yep. He gets hit hard 43 44% of the time over the last three years. That's been a consistent number, and hard hit usually then results in home runs and, and you know, a, a much higher expectancy average and power and slugging than what you do see with him. So if he can, man, if somehow, some way, he can get that hard hit rate down, maybe yeah. it's more with a pitch mix or more efficiency or whatever it may be, and he gets that number down, Salt, you are looking at a number one guy. You're looking at three number one guys at the top of this rotation. And that is why I think your buddy Dan at, at Zips and Phipps and all the rest of them sure do love the, the projection numbers and the win totals a little bit more than maybe some of the casual fan does. Yeah, no, I, this that front three is absurd. It really is good. And and we've seen some good years with the Mariners with big time kind of, you know, top of the rotation guys. Obviously, you go back to what it was supposed to be in 2010 with Felix and Cliff Lee and then whoever you wanted to consider third at that point, whether it was Bedard or Vargas or whoever mm-hmm. was kind of stepping into it. It was it was I mean, that was pretty good. OK, Felix, Felix and Cliff Lee in their prime. Yep. Pretty good. Yep. This group has so much upside and and that kind of combination of youth and 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 experience that you want a little challenge. By the way? You, want a, you want a little challenge right off the top on Valentine's Day to prove to that guy that you are the country's greatest radio oh show gosh, host. No. Do you want a little challenge right out the gate? Not really. No. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you one anyway All right. because you're my Valentine. Thank you. Oh, 13, so 13 different starters. 13 last year different starters for the Mariners last year I will give you one he was a Luke he Weaver no I'll give you Trent Thornton oh, oh, I knew that did. one yep oh you did already okay of course. okay here we go then go ahead 13, 13 different starters All right, we yep. got the you got your starting five for this year yep you got Robbie Ray is six mm-hmm. he started one game unfortunately yep you've got uh Darren McCacken was probably seven he started mm-hmm. a game in there mm-hmm. no 
He only came mm-hmm. in in relief? All right, yep. I'll take him mm-hmm. out. Take you him had, out. Uh, you, let's see. You, you had mentioned Weaver and Luke Thornton. Weaver, Trent Thornton. So now you're at what, eight? Yep, you had okay. uh, the guy who started the one game in Toronto and yep. then ended up getting hurt immediately afterwards. Yep. What's the his baseball name? bat is named after him, or his first name is after a pretty popular Easton McGee. Bat. Easton McGee, thank All you. Right, now you're at nine. I'm at so nine. Got, I need four more. Yep, you, uh, you got Marco Gonzalez. There we go. Boom, look at you. The country's best Chris Flexen would get you to 11. Oh, my. My gosh. So I'm going to need two more. Dude, you are right. Are both there. guys starters, or yes. were they relievers yes. who started no, a game? They're oh, you got little starters. Tommy Malone. You got guy. little Tommy Malone. That is a dozen. All you right. got one and, more. Uh, Emerson Hancock. <laughs> you see, you see why he's the best. You see why he's the country's that wasn't best. Even really host? that hard. Look at you right there. Yeah. That Dude, wasn't you, that wasn't really that hard. You nailed I thought McCacken would have started one game, but I guess not. Other than <laughs> yeah. that, that's pretty good. That is really good. Well, I'll tell you the two guys you're going to be talking about a lot, because I don't know if you want to get to 13 again this year, mm-hmm. but if you want to keep it uh, a whole lot closer to five, then you're going to need quite a bit from your two young guys. No, oh. not Kirby and Gilbert, but Will, but Miller and Wu, obviously. Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, Shannon was saying last week, good stuff from her saying that, that Bryce Miller does have a sinker, a new pitch for him to try to get lefties out, which is where he struggled significantly last year. The changeup didn't really work. The sweeper didn't really work against lefties. And so hopefully the sinker, which will move away from them, will help. Mm-hmm. And then it was interesting kind of talking to people who say that, you know, the other teams – think that Brian Wu is the scary one Hmm. because of that fastball and the arm angle he throws it at. And obviously the slider that comes off of it, he probably makes Mariner fans the most nervous because of Mm -hmm. the command and also obviously the injury history, but he's the guy that scares other teams probably more than Bryce Miller. Yeah. And I think what scares the Mariners and why they're going to be very protective of him. So going back to 2018, he has pitched 24 innings in a year, 49 innings, Mm -hmm. 17 innings, 28 innings, 57 innings and last year bumped up to 131 and many of those were pretty big moments that's absolutely true so they're gonna they're gonna protect him as we talked about yesterday you won't see him throw on regular rest my guess is until may and he probably won't pitch a whole heck of a lot throughout spring training especially in the early couple of weeks but yeah he is a, a huge part of what they're gonna try to do this year so all right let's take a quick break that's just the pitching stuff because obviously it's pitchers and catchers that are reporting today we'll dig into the lineup and the roster in a little bit more detail later this week and into next week and then we'll be down there by the way have you looked at the have you looked at the weather in peoria right now Mm. for like the next week and 10 days while we're Mm. down there Mm -mm. oh my gosh Mm. last year was terrible right remember last year was cold it was rainy it was kind of crappy starting on friday the 23rd 72 and sunny 74 and sunny 75 and sunny 74 and sunny 75 and sunny 72 and sunny we're gonna take a quick break and (laughs) apply some sunscreen we'll be right back with everything you need to know on brock and sulk need to know 15 minutes past every hour with brock and salk here's what you need to know up first yep, those magical words today brock pitchers and catchers reporting for duty baseball season well kind of begins really all it means is that they have to be in peoria and then tomorrow they'll like maybe throw a little bit of the field so not exactly world series level intensity or beginning of training camp or anything like that but it is a start nonetheless and this rotation is the strength of this team david schoenfeld on yesterday said yeah it's going to come down to what those number four and five guys do the keys are going to be bryce miller and, and brian Rue, and we're reading about them both need to develop a pitch to get lefties out lefties hammered both of these guys the concern can they make it through 30 starts 150 160 innings 
So that'll be a big test. I think what I see of those two is I think Bryce Miller probably has the higher floor and Brian Wu probably has the higher ceiling. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. I think Bryce Miller's going to be pretty good. Yep. He might not ever get to being a number one starter, but he is going to be a good major league starter yes. probably for some time. And certainly if he can figure out how to get lefties a little bit more often, he can be pretty good. Yeah. Wu's just got that electricity, man. That it, arm it, angle is just different. It's the whip so funky. It's just different, but is it, is it sustainable? Yeah. And, and, you know, in making well, and sure can you he get lefties out, make sure you take care of all of those issues. If last year was a bit of an outlier with 13 different starters over 162 games, I think the safe number and, and the number you do hear, and we heard it from Jerry just a couple weeks ago, is you got to have nine. You got to have upwards of nine guys. It's the wolf pack. It, it, you know, it's a, <laughs> that's a throwback. Got to have a wolf job. pack. Yeah, that's pretty good. Upwards of nine. And right now, if you try to figure out who seven, eight, nine are, those are some names that we don't know very well. You mm-hmm. do know Emerson Hancock, and you know that he is going to be striving after an injury plague season a year ago where he got his chance. Looked pretty darn, pretty darn good, too, by the way. And then, unfortunately, had a lot issue that has been bothersome over the last couple seasons. But outside of that, man, that will be one of yeah. the keys of spring training one, is to develop some of that starting rotation. Yeah, right game. now it's going to be Emerson Hancock. Austin Voth has been a starter, so he's probably going to be in the mix for number seven. I would just look out for the name Levi Stout. Remember, he was the Mariner pitching prospect. What Went to Cincinnati in the like Castillo deal. Levi Stout. Uh, yeah, it's S-T-O-U-D-T. Ooh, nice. But he uh, he went to Cincinnati in the Luis Castillo deal. DFA'd yesterday, was not very effective in Cincy, and I don't know, you need a little minor league depth, he might be somebody that might have some interest in bringing back. Here's the second thing you need to know. All right, well, nothing really surprising, but the Seahawks did officially announce the names of seven members of their coaching staff, including their offensive and defensive coordinator, special teams coordinator, assistant head coach, etc. No real surprises there. They still have a long way to go, even with that coaching staff. But yeah, they get the most important spots filled and they can kind of go to work now on the rest. I want to play you this sound uh, from NFL Live from Dan Graziano Brock. He was talking about specifically Ryan Grubb and Michael Penix and what the connection might be here in Seattle. But listen to where he goes with this because I think he takes it in a whole other direction. A lot of people are going to want to connect those dots between Grubb, the new uh, offensive coordinator there, and Penix, who he coached in college. And and, and that maybe that's, that's part of their thinking. But, you know, they could also be in a situation where they would trade up from 16, if they were looking to draft a quarterback, remember they did a lot of work on the quarterbacks in last year's draft. They went out to the pro days and saw and talked to Stroud and Young and Anthony Richardson. They were picking five last year because they had that Broncos pick from the Russell Wilson trade. They didn't have taken one. All those guys were taken before they picked. You know that Seattle is looking around with the idea that at some point they're going to need to find their long-term solution at that mm-hmm. position. And Geno Smith, as well as he's played for them, 33 years old, it's possible they just don't see him as that. Mm-hmm. I will say this, and some of this is from my nephew's experience there, and maybe we talk to Sammy over the next couple weeks and, and get, kind of get his insight on Ryan Grubb and this system and everything else. We are going to chat with Roger Rosengarten tomorrow. I look forward to that, the, the right tackle. That uh, Boy, he's projecting to moving up the, up, up the charts, maybe a second-round pick come April, uh, again, about this system. But with those two, and Sam in particular, I know Ryan Grubb loves – unique arm talent Mm -hmm. he loves a guy that can throw it to places that others can't immediately people say well this system's gonna be great for gino gino's got accuracy 
Gino's got good arm strength. I would not say that Gino has elite, mm -hmm. different arm strength. In fact, Drew Locke, maybe that's why his name continues to get mentioned. Drew has got a cannon for an arm and a very easy arm to make every throw 60 to 70 yards down the field. That is one of the traits that Mr. Grubb does look for. Here's the third thing you need to know. Nice win for the Kraken last night as they went to overtime. They won in overtime? In Long Island. They actually a won shootout? in a shootout, Brock. A shootout. Will it be Tuna time in the two-hole? Tatar scores! Kovac Tatar! one nothing in the shootout. Grubauer started net, gave up just one goal in the game, none in the shootout. He was stellar in his first mm. start in months. Mm. Matty Beneers actually scored a goal, his he first did. in over a month, second since before Christmas. Yep. And, uh, yeah, they won in the shootout. We so, talked to John Forslund in the last hour, and I thought he was very spot on with his comments about Matty Beneers. Like, look, what he's shown is that he's not a number one center. Yep. At least not right now. Yep. He's a number two center. And if this team wants to get going, they're going to need a number one center. A birthday boy. On Valentine's Day, yeah, Mr. Forslund, huh? Yeah. And a shout uh, out to Arlene. Her birthday today too. Upstairs. Yep. Yeah. What? Yeah. Shout out to Arlene. Wow. Happy birthday. Oh, awesome. Brock, I just I wanted to say before we end need to know, I feel so bad. Things in college football are obviously oh, rough. Oh, here we go. A six-year, $7.8 billion deal with ESPN, mm -hmm. and that only covers the college football playoff game. Mm -hmm. So I really hope these poor programs can survive. Yep. It sounds like things are really going poorly in college yep, football. Yep, I figured that that would be coming somewhere along the way, that you would shoot that one right over the hill. Well, so, I, mean, I, yep. I mean, obviously they're not doing very well. There's no, uh, we'll no money. We'll see there's no because money. there's lots of speculation. Another article written today that maybe we're not going to have 12 teams solved but oh. maybe we're going to immediately expand to 16 oh, 12 wow. and we can have 16 well still i hope they Just can figure mess. out what to do with eight billion dollars that's everything you need to know a uh, quarter past every hour here on the brock and sulk show mm -hmm. yeah, that sounds rough all right uh, brock i learned something yesterday for all of the the general negativity on the old x platform which i've mostly been off recently but yeah i know but also I, surprised me last night i know but i had a good experience I had a like really positive. Sure? Yes, I had a really positive interaction with a nice gentleman, a doctor who works right next door to us here at Fred Hutch. Mm -hmm. And when I like looked him up, I found out that uh, he he turned me onto this theory that I Whoa. think makes a lot of sense, and I oh. want to share it with you guys. It has to do with being the Red Queen. It what? has to. Do, I know it has to do with Alice what? in Wonderland through the Looking Glass, Lewis Carroll, oh Brock. Brock. I'm just as skeptical. Yeah, I had I such that. a good interaction. I went back for more, and it totally ruined it all. But that's next <laughs> on Brock and Salk. You're listening to Brock and Salk, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, so I learned something yesterday, Brock. This is so rare that you have a positive interaction online with an incredibly smart gentleman who works right next to us here at the Fred Hutch Research Center who mm -hmm. taught me about the Red Queen. Do you know about the Red Queen? Well, I would just say before we get to the Red Queen, I mean, more I had 198 likes. There was not one negative. No. It was nothing but love, flowers, and affirmations True. for her performance yes. yesterday. So sometimes those social media realms can be very positive can be. and very affirming. I've never really experienced much of that <laughs> other than the occasional pick of my dog where people are like, oh, cute dog. And then somebody else is like, you know. He looks like you. Have you seen old yellow, you jerk? <laughs> like, all right, I'm going down. Um, no, I. 
I, uh, yes, I'm not Mora. She has much better interactions yeah. with people than I do. But I did get something pretty interesting. I thought this Red Queen thing was fascinating, and it came out of this whole idea of trading DK Metcalf and what that would look like. Mm-hmm. And so the Red Queen comes from Through the Looking Glass, which is, I think, the sequel, if I'm not mistaken, to Alice in Wonderland. Lewis Carroll, he was a mathematician, wrote those books. Anyway, the Red Queen quote is, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. It takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. And so that line from that from that book leads to the Red Queen hypothesis, which mm. is used in science. But it says, for an evolutionary system, continuing development is needed just in order to maintain its fitness relative to the system it's co-evolving with. Does that mm. make sense? Kind of. That was written in 1973 by a guy named Lee Van Valen, who is not good. related to Eddie or Alex well, or anybody like that. It's a good Dutch like name right there. Anytime there's an A versus an O, it's a Dutch, not a said, German. So good. Said more simply, a species must constantly adapt, evolve, and proliferate in order to survive while pitted against ever-evolving opposing species. Ooh, okay. And I think that's why this quote certainly works in genealogy and mm-hmm. you know all of the things they're working on down the street here at Fred Hutch. And mm-hmm. shout out to everybody doing the incredible work they're doing over there and thinking outside the box and trying to solve this mammoth problem of, of how do we eradicate cancer. Mm-hmm. But it also applies in the world of sports. And somebody texted in earlier and said, actually, it's used quite a bit in baseball analytics, which makes sense to me. You're trying to, in a world where all of the other teams around you are trying to get better and trying to beat you and trying to be better than you, you constantly need to adapt. You constantly need to evolve. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't need to proliferate necessarily in sports, but you understand (laughs) the point. And I do think it applies to the DK question or the Geno Smith question, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, essentially, for me, this comes down to, do you think changing coaches, which they've done, is enough to take this roster from being somewhere in the okay to good category to being great. Do you believe that a coaching change is enough? That by itself is enough to make this team great. I don't. It's not a shot at Mike McDonald or his coordinators. They may do a great job, but I don't think just a coaching change is going to take this team from where it was to where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So once you accept that premise, and maybe you don't, that's fine. We don't have to. We don't have to agree on it. But if you agree with me that 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 just a coaching change is not enough, mm-hmm. it may take doing something a little bit more drastic, a little bit more outside the box to try to significantly change this roster. And I hear that Dan Graziano clip where he says the Seahawks know that they need to eventually find their long-term option at quarterback and that this is a draft Brock with five or six guys, two of whom would be available potentially at 16 with connections to this coaching staff, Grubb and Penix and McDonald and McCarthy, right? I mean, like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of reasons to think that the Seahawks would want a quarterback, but a quarterback alone isn't going to make this team the type of team that you would think Mike McDonald wants Built up front like the Ravens are. Okay, so a couple premises. The Seahawks ended last year at 9-8, and eight, yep. correct? Uh, because of two missed field goals in the final two minutes by Arizona, they were able to smoke cigars and have a winning record and the same record as the year before at 9-8. and eight. If all of the personnel was the exact same, if you lost to Chenna Nuosu in week six exactly the same way, all of those issues, you know, Gino's going to miss a couple games with the injury. Every, everything fell the same way it did mm-hmm. over the course of the 2023 season. But this was Mike McDonald, Ryan Grubb, Scott Huff, uh, Aiden Durd, all all of the new coaches, Jay Harbaugh, 
in, in the entire staff. How much different is their record? Mora, Justin, Salk. Is it one game different? If they if they chase edges so but now remember this is this is youth all over the place. Mm-hmm. The first time D coordinator, right? First time head coach, I'm, first time special teams coordinator. I'm gonna NFL. say their record is the same. Yeah. That that for and that's not again, it's not a shot, but that for whatever advantages they might get from having, you know, a, a better scheme in place. Mm-hmm. They might lose from having a first-time head coach that's just unknown. Again, that's not to say he's going to be bad at it. It's just I don't know how to rate his in-game decision-making or any of that because we've never seen him do it. Mm -hmm. So I would think that the best and smartest bet would be on the same record because it could be better, could be worse. Yeah, I might go plus one. I, I, I may make them ten and seven, okay. and maybe some of those games instead of getting you know hammered six to one as he did against Baltimore with six hundred yards to your one hundred yards and six first downs and and really some of those games were they just were not terribly competitive that 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 they would have been that there would have been some schematic things done week to week to have a to have a much better plan than than you did so I mean maybe maybe best case scenario. Is a is a plus one is mm-hmm. a, is you know a ten seven and therein is some of your premise. Then okay, so how do we do this? How can you drastically turn your roster? You know, on average, Salk in the NFL, it's about thirty to thirty five percent of your roster turns over. A lot of that is you know free agents that get a little bit older. A lot of that is youth at the bottom of it. Now this will be again um, an interesting and unique factor this year because it is depleted. Mm-hmm. Fifth and sixth and seventh round picks this year are going to be the previous season's undrafted rookie free agents. Right. I mean, the depth at the bottom of this draft and then those undrafted rookie free agents that you found, (laughs) there's going to be very few of those that make a team because they wouldn't have maybe even been invites in the past. So 30 to 35%. Yeah. Can the can the Seahawks manage with thirty, or, or do you want to see a 45 to 55%? I mean, it depends what the 30 to 45 or 35% is. Right. I mean, if it's all along the margins of the team, I don't know whether that's going to take you from good to great. Yeah. If it's if if you're able to build in some real significant talent at the most important positions, I think it can. And honestly, that's where that I, that's another spot where I think I'm going to differ with some people. I don't consider and I've said this many times and you're free to disagree with me, but I personally don't consider wide receiver to be at the same level of importance as many other people do. Mm hmm. You're. It's okay if we disagree on that. Mm-hmm. If I were building a team, I wouldn't spend as much or put as many resources into the wide receiver position until I was very confident that what I was doing up front was spectacular. Yep. yep. A lot of people. How, how many? How that. many Super Bowl? How many Super Bowl champions have been led? Very few. Very few. Very, very few. I mean, Julio helped carry a team there, and they were up 28-3, to three, yep. and he would have been, along with Matt Ryan, like kind of a centerpiece. Cooper, Cooper Cup was amongst the best receivers in the yep. game, maybe the number one when he went to the Super Bowl and won. Mm-hmm. Although, that for whatever reason, that one feels a little bit different, maybe because of, you know. I don't know, because he's an H-back, a fullback, a right. tight end, an ex-receiver, because he's about five kind of different player. kind of receivers. But yep. ultimately, I don't think it's very many, and, and certainly there will be exceptions, but I don't think that's the best strategy is to really kind of focus on the wide receiver spot and I don't think that like you're instantly going to get a top tier Patrick Mahomes style quarterback just because you trade away a DK Metcalf Mm -hmm. but if you are in the market for a quarterback this year and you need significant help on the offensive line this isn't really a salary cap argument 
And I'm not going to pretend to understand the cap perfectly. Got a great reply from this guy named Will who wrote all about the cap and wrote a really nice response. I posted it this morning. Mm -hmm. Smart guy who understands it better than I do. Maybe I muddled things a little bit by talking about the cap in, and, and the numbers in the article, because mm-hmm. really I should have stuck to what I truly believe, which is much more about the draft picks. Mm-hmm. You want another first round pick? Where does Indy pick this year? Top 12, somewhere in that range? Where does yeah. Indianapolis pick? That would be the first they team. Made I, the, they made the playoffs, so no, they're they going to be. Yeah, did they, they did. Yeah, they lost to, didn't they? Or no, no, no. They lost the very last yeah, they game. They just miss missed out. out. They're on, number so. 15. Okay, 15, so they're right yep. in front of you. Yeah. Would you want? Would you trade DK Metcalf to Indy for the number fifteen pick and a second rounder? And the reason I bring up Indy is they're about to get Anthony Richardson back, right? They were on the verge of the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. They, they might be a team that would absolutely love a guy like DK in that market. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a it's a good fit in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. If you had fifteen and sixteen, you could draft one of the quarterbacks and Troy Faltano. Mm-hmm. And with the second-round pick, you could draft a linebacker, which you need. And by the way, you don't have a second-round pick. And then you've got two-thirds. And if you want to move up and you want to package number 15 and you think you can get up to – maybe you want to take both of those picks because you think you can get Jaden Daniels or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. It just gives you a lot more options. Gives you a lot of powder. Gives you a lot of powder. The one challenge I'm having to the Red Queen and uh, and, in a lot of this kind of evolutionary conversation Mm -hmm. is – all 32 teams. I'm not, I'm not having a problem with evolution. Okay, I put good. that aside because I do believe it. Absolutely do believe in microevolution. Microevolution is absolutely a big part of life. Yes. Here's the challenge. <laughs> All 31 teams are trying to do what Kansas City has done. Mm-hmm. All the other 31 of them all want to evolve the same way and find a Patrick Mahomes to control for five years and then have for another 10. And it's, you know, he is obviously such a unicorn in so many different ways. But, man, that is, if we can only, how many organizations Hulk have spent so much time, not even just running, but sprinting to, okay, what do we got to do? How, how are we going to do this? How are we going to trade out? How are we going to get our Patrick Mahomes? Because we need a young 22-year-old QB, yep. absolute stud, and yep. he can solidify our careers. He yep. can solidify our Ch- program. He can change everything. 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 But if there's not 31 of those guys, <laughs> I think that's where some of this comes into play. If there is not 32 of those but if guys, you don't and there's have not one of those guys. I'm not sure. I, I don't, I'm just not big on the whole wide receiver thing. Like, if you don't have one of those guys, then run the ball, build up your offensive line, try to give the guy you do have as much time as possible, and that can make even quote unquote pedestrian wide receivers seem pretty great. You build up your roster. You yeah. do what KJ Wright and Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas and Bobby Wagner and Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill and Russell Lacoon and Russell Wilson and Marshawn Lynn. You build up your and, whole and, roster. And by the way, it doesn't mean wide receivers are unimportant, it doesn't mean they're irrelevant. It just means that I personally wouldn't build my roster with them as the sort of focal point. And I thought that was a concern when they signed DK Metcalf to the big deal. Mm -hmm. And it's still a concern today. I don't know. I'll leave it to the smarter people than me to understand what a trade of DK would do to the salary cap. I understand that gets super complex, but it, I know what it would do potentially to a draft. And by the way, if 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 the word back is yeah, DK doesn't even get you a first round pick, yes. then you then you nix this idea. Yeah. Then it's a non-starter. Okay, 
it was something we explored. Other teams weren't willing to go there. Let's try another way of evolving, right? Mm -hmm. Another way of adapting, Mm -hmm. of proliferating, apparently, Mm -hmm. in order to survive when pitted against the ever-evolving opposing species in your division, in your conference, in your league. Chasing edges, man. It's finding those little margins. How can we do it? How can we put together a staff that's got some institutional knowledge? It's a little bit different, right? Mike McDonald spent a year in college football. One of the things that I will ask him the next time we talk to him was just how valuable that season was. Because you know what he had to do, Salk? He had to have a growth mindset. He'd spent his, his years in the NFL. And now i got to go to this college game. And now i got to attack this college game and these the, with, with these schemes and these hash marks and this space and these systems. And oh, by the way, the system's a whole lot more diver- diverse offensively mm-hmm. in college football. Because of the tempo, because of the spread, because of the the wish, you know, the uh, triple option, because of all the different things that you see at the collegiate level, I think that was really big in his growth mindset, right? In, in developing that and how the rest of this staff, right, you know, rounds itself out and all the different position coaches. That's a part of this too, man. How do we gain an edge, man? How do we find that little edge that we so desperately need because this league is built on everybody being 8-9 and 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 9-8 exactly where you ended up? I guess what I hope, seriously, and and we'll have some more fun with this a little bit later in the show after KJ is going to be here in about 15 minutes. What I hope is that after hearing some of the explanation around it or the Red Queen hypothesis or whatever, that you understand this isn't a hot take. A hot take would be DK's a jerk, send him out of town. That's not what this is at all. I, I know that there is an, and an, an for some people, not for everybody, for some people, it's about the about the salary cap. For other people, it's about cutting lock. There's a million ways of looking at this. But for the group that hears, I want to trade a player and thinks it means you don't like the player or you want that player out of town. Hmm. I hope this is this catches eventually the idea that it's not about that. It's about trying to use your resources differently, not just monetary resources, but draft capital and the way your roster is built and the stars on your team. And I think that the Seahawks could build a better mousetrap with a different version of roster construction. Brock, really, a really quick question for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, how much, you talk a lot about details and discipline. Yeah. How many wins do you think could have been changed this year with different details and discipline? Yeah, as I said, maybe well, with this staff, like maybe one. Okay, and is McDonald's yep. a details and discipline type of guy? My, yes. I guess ultimately where sure seems to, to be. Yep, I think that okay. was his what West was Point very. Dad's going to be very upset if he's not. Very attractive to Mr. Schneider through this process, and the way he sits on his seat, very detailed, very strong. This is Brock and Sox Blue Eighty Eight. Blue Eighty Eight. Blue Eighty Eight. We take you to the field as Brock Ewart breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. All right, three good football questions for Brock Heward, starting with this one. 13 Huskies at the Combine this week, or not this week. When is it, next week? Who knows? I don't know. Whenever the Combine is, who should we be watching most closely? 13, by the way, Saul. 13. I think Michigan leads the way with 18. <laughs> Unbelievable development there in, in our Arbor and obviously great development here. Chris Peterson initially recruited so many of these guys, but developed over the five and six years here. I'll give you five. Okay. I think there's five of those 13 and Penix is not one of them, by the way. I think a lot of his work was done at the senior bowl, but his 40 time and he better run it will be real, be really important. I think Braylon Trice is number one. That dude can flat out play. His pressure rate is off the charts. As many pressures the last couple of years as anybody in all of college football. But it's his body, it's the, it's the size, the strength, the power. He is going to have to put on a show with his physical prowess. The game tape, you absolutely love. 
And I think he's got tremendous instincts and all the rest, but he's going to have to show off, as are the two receivers, not name Roma Dunze. I think Rome will be just fine. He probably doesn't run his 40 even at the combine or do much. We'll do that at his pro day. Uh, but Polk and McMillan, gonna have, once again, have to put on a show. Going to have to do something electric. You know, if Polk is big as, as, and strong as he is, runs in the 4-4s, four they're going to look at that tape and go, whoa, look at all of this production. 1,000-yard receiver, too. Huge plays. Great contested guy. McMillan, super silky smooth in the slot. But you got to run. And you got to run really, really fast. And then the last two would be the two tackles. Rosengarten put on... Um, put on display his traits at the senior bowl show that he could be a left tackle and a right tackle is Jim Nagy said you're not going to get him in the mid rounds anymore he's going to be a second round pick in this draft <laughs> if he goes out there and reps 225 30 times if he goes and runs a 48540 if he does that uh, look out his stock is going to you know fly through the roof and I'll be curious how much Troy Faltanu does and what he looks like um, because he is super impressive as well but man there are a lot of dogs <laughs> that will be on display in Indianapolis All right, question number two Uh, so the Seahawks still have, what, another 10 or 12 assistants left to hire the guys yep. under the coordinators. Yep. What are you looking for in those position coaches if you were uh, in the room consulting? I would love to see as young as the prominent seven guys were that were listed yesterday, as, as you know, young as many of them are when it comes to NFL experience being in the role. First time Scott Huffle, line coach. First time Ryan Grubb, OC in the NFL. First time DC. First time head coach. First time special teams. That's a lot of first times. Daniel Hackett had a lot of first times in Denver, and it spun, and the game sped up on him. I'd like to see some seasoning with guys that have done it before, and most importantly, Saul, could have been player builders and empowerers. Mm. When you get to the position coach, and maybe I'm biased, because I watched Damon Heward become the second-rated passer in the NFL. Damon was the second-rated passer in cool. all of the NFL with the Kansas City Chiefs. He was good in Miami. Won some games, didn't get much run in New England, went there, and when Trent Green went down, he elevated himself and his career to the second rate in now great weapons. Tony Gonzalez helped and Priest Holmes helped and well, the line helped. Stepping in for Trent Green is a career win for anybody. Trent was a good player. He just couldn't The best thing you wanted to do was replace Trent Green. Yeah, that worked well for Kurt. And it certainly worked well for Damon. And if you peel that onion back, Damon would say, I don't think I could have done that without Terry Shea. Dick Vermeil, head coach, great coordinator, awesome. But Terry Shea was his position coach, and that's now the next round of coaching hires. You know, receiver coach, QB coach, running back coach, tight end coach. I want a guy that has been there like Terry Shea and a guy that has built someone up. Show me your resume. Show me your Dave Canales and what you did with Geno Smith in that year as a QB coach. Turning around a guy that was a journeyman that maybe the CFL was the only other option, but you so built into him and empowered him and believed in him, he became comeback player of the year. Canales goes and becomes a coordinator one year later. He's a head coach. Find me a player empowerer and a player builder at these position coach levels. All right, question number three. We've heard Mike McDonald say a few times that growth mindset is right at the core of what he's looking for in anybody on his staff. Mm-hmm. You know, he explained to us what that meant. Who, who have you been around in your time that really embodies that? Yeah, there have been a few. My dad was so far ahead of anybody else in the 80s and 90s. So he just was. He connected with staff at the University of Washington. What we were doing in high school was collegiate level stuff. Mm -hmm. It took three to three and a half hours on a practice field. It took 18 hour days for him. He would lose 
20 to 30 pounds every football season because he wouldn't sleep. He'd be up scouting. Other teams didn't scout. He had a growth and a progressive mindset that was ahead of the rest. Um, Sean McVay, every time I've been around him, when I got that season in the NFL where I sat with him two or three times, and, and I think in the NFL, we'll talk to KJ about this, especially in the NFL, when you can communicate really exotic schemes and simplify it and make me understand on a production call, you're pretty good. Your growth mindset's pretty good. Lincoln Riley's off the charts, been around him a half dozen, dozen, 15 times. He's just different. The way that his mind works, the way that he is able on a Sunday to spend 10 hours in his office by himself and put together a plan that attacks people in ways that nobody else can. Uh, Lincoln Riley, Sean McVay, Mike Hewitt would be three. I'd put at the top of the list. All right, that is today's Blue 88. We are minutes away from the final KJ Wright show of the season. Mm. Uh, unsurprisingly, a lot of texts that came in. One says, Salk, I'm with you 100%, giving up a great player in order to build a great team. Well said. That, yeah. That's the idea behind it, it. It really was the argument about 10 years ago for Felix. Yes. You and I went round and round and round and round and round and round and round. And, man, you want to talk about emotion. People get mad at you. You mm-hmm. bring up Felix in that time. I get it. He was the only guy. He's the only one on the team that would bring much back in a yep. in a big-time trade. Salk, 253, why do you have an issue with DK's contract but not Lockett's, which is at a higher salary? I do. But I think you can restructure Tyler Lockett's and find a way to move forward with him. You're not going to be able to do that with DK. And also, Lockett doesn't bring you back much in terms yep. of assets. Yep. So it, resources don't just mean money. Resources are draft picks and money. If you could get the exact the same return on, if you could get the exact same return on investment of draft capital with Tyler Lockett uh, and DK, you would flash. Tyler. Of course yes. you would. Yes, It'd be the easiest decision of all time. That's not reality. Yep. So yeah, of course. Yeah, Lockett's contract's not perfect. But I, I think mm-hmm. even if you were to to deal with that and restructure it and get it down to a more manageable number, um, you'd still need to find more draft capital. Do you think KJ knows the bombshell that G dropped on Friday? Do you think he knows that? I don't know. That's a I know good they spent question. a lot of time together on Radio Row. Right? That is a good question. You know what? Let's st- I'll ask him off the air because I don't I don't want to drop that on him on the right. air. I'm worried right. about where that could go. Right. But uh, especially after everything that happened this year. With KJ's lack of hip hop knowledge and everything right, else, the Fuji's right. and Pras. So, yeah, I'll, uh, let me ask KJ off the air and um, we'll come back with the KJ Wright Show next. I'm Brock and Soul.